We are on the second week of our, our uh, it's, it's funny, it's the seven deadly sins, but we're doing them in six weeks because we're ambitious, right? We're, we're going to do this. Uh, it's, so we're week two, and uh, so we'll be talking about that. Now, as we go through the seven deadly sins, I grew up Catholic, you most of you know that, and so um, I'm not saying, I'm not bringing in like the seven deadly sins versus like the vernal sins where like the seven deadly die in those, there's no salvation, vernal ones. It just kind of offended God, but he's not too bad. No, we're not talking about that. All sins are deadly, we get it. But these are seven sins that we find in Scripture that have definitely, uh, throughout, if we look in the Word, are, are roots of so many other things, so many um, sources of brokenness in our life. And so uh, we'll be going through those and talking about how uh, there is a cure. And uh, so some good things that we'll be hitting in that. Now, before we get into it, of course, we want to have our memory verse for this week. It comes to us from Proverbs 14.30, and it says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. Isn't that a fun verse? Sounds like a pirate would say it. It's so good. All right. What an awesome verse is that, huh? Then we want to have life. Have you ever been around somebody who has a heart at peace? Right? Where they they are peace where they are in life. They're peace with God. They have, uh, and and they're just the kind of person that is life-giving to be around, aren't they? And then you find those people... I don't know, sometimes it may be me where they're just filled with envy and they're upset with somebody else because of what they have and they're always talking bad about with the person. And it, it's corrosive, isn't it? It rots the bones. I mean, it just kills you from the inside out. I think oftentimes we think about envy and we think, oh, it's not that deadly. But the Bible says something different. And so we'll be talking about that today. And so in your uh, bulletins, there is a memory verse card for you because we said it three times. You don't have it memorized. Don't trick yourself. But it gives you a good start. So if you would go into your uh, bulletins, you could take that memory verse card out and you could put it in your pocket, your wallet, your purse, whatever, and, and remind yourself of this truth. And we'll be talking about it today, some of the things in there. Now, when we talk about envy, uh, this is one of the seven deadly sins. This is also one of the, you know, God's top ten, the, uh, the Ten Commandments. We've, we've heard about it before. Um, you might remember it from Exodus uh, 20 and it says you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or male female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is of your neighbors right so we've heard that before and we know that for god this is a big deal right if you put it on, if you if you scribes it with his finger onto stone apparently it's a big deal to god right he wants us to get this and so we understand envy is a big deal and yet in our own lives we don't really treat it that way often do we it seems like a pretty benign sin, right? Who cares if I like my neighbor's donkey? What if he's got a good donkey, right? Who cares if we think, oh, I, that's not a big thing. What's the damage in that? We'll talk about it today. There is some real damage. And it starts with this, that envy is a subtle form of hate. It's a real subtle form. Where it begins, it starts, and, and it says, I want what you have, and I'm angry that you have it. It is not the root of hate, but it is a root of hatred. And when given birth, when we allow envy into our lives, it begins to bring forth all kinds of other damaging fruits and poisons in our life, which are very, very bad. Envy, in and of itself, it, it uh, resents other people's good, doesn't it? When I see what they have and I envy them, I'm like, man, you got a nice donkey and I don't like you because you got that nice donkey, right? But typically for us, we don't care so much about donkeys, but we will say things like this, man, I really like your car or your house or your job or your marriage or these friends that you have, right? Or these, these easy breaks that you have. Or your, I mean, there's all kinds of things we could be envious of. There's a myriad of things, whatever we look at somebody else and then it allows us to become resentful towards other people because they have good things. It rejoices really when bad things happen to other people oftentimes. If we live lives that are, that are envious lives because we're competing with one another and when somebody else has something bad happens to them, it kind of puts us ahead a little bit. And so we, in this very sick way, begin to rejoice when bad things happen to other people. It is a form of hatred. And we have to be able to say, see it for what it truly is. It's bad. So envy is a social sin. Right? It has very physical consequences, but it is a social sin. And in so it squelches joy, it maximizes others' good fortune, at the same time it just minimizes our own blessings. You know, we forget to, to look at the blessings that we have. We're like, I don't even care about this blessing anymore because I see what you have. Right? It is bad. It leads to resentment. 
Resentful people are the kind of people that their spiritual bones are rotting, aren't they? Their lives fall apart. They're very fragile and frail. Right? They can't handle other people having good things. They can't handle a little bit of hardship in their own life because they're just resentful of one another. We criticize one another because we're trying to compete with one another. In fact, oftentimes envy looks at other people's successes and their blessings and we attribute it to just luck. Like, oh, that person's just lucky. They just get all the breaks and I don't get any of the breaks. They get all the good things, right? We don't look. Maybe they've worked really hard, made a lot of sacrifices. And you know what? Maybe sometimes good things just happen to people. But instead of celebrating it, we get mad at it. And we just say, oh, they're just so lucky. And then in our own lives, we throw ourselves a little, little pity party that no one ever wants to come to except for you. Right? And what happens is when we become that way, we become unmotivated. We don't work as hard because we think, well, everybody else just gets good things. And I know how hard I work and I don't get those things. So why even try? And then it's self-perpetuating because then we don't get as many good things because then we give up and we start living unwise lives. And then other people do get good things and it makes us more and more envious. And it's just a trap. It's a trap. And it's common. A lot of us fall into it. In fact, I would say all of us at some point falls into it. Envy, I chose to preach on second because it is the close, a very close cousin to pride. Now, last week we talked about pride as being the first of the seven deadly sins. In fact, it is, the, it is the first sin of all sins. It's the one that is the root of all sins. And so if you missed that, I encourage you to go to our website, funchurch.com. You can listen to this. And, uh, but we have to deal with pride first so we can go to these other ones. But envy really springs forth right from pride. It's a, it's a pretty quick trip from Pride to envy. If you think about it, here's why. Pride says, I should be the king of, of the world, right? Everybody should serve me because I'm the center of it all. Clearly, everything revolves around me. You know, the scientists have it wrong. Um, the, the universe, everything, just around me. It's all me, and everything should be my way. And you have something that I should want. You have something that I deserve. And therefore, that is a grave, a grave sin, right, against, against me, and so envy begins, starts with pride, believes that I actually deserve to have all good things. That's where it begins, doesn't it? So it starts with pride, that I actually deserve to have these awesome things. Envy is also, you can tell you're in the struck, uh, midst of envy by this, are you comparing? Right? Because envy, how it works is it works through comparison. It compares a couple different things. First, it compares what I think I should have versus what I, what I have. But it also compares what you have versus what I have. Right? It's always looking out to make the comparison. Now, it's funny. We always look up. We don't ever look down. We never look at somebody, you know, who's like stubbed their toe. And we're like, how come that never happens to me? Right? We don't do that. <laughs> but, but we look at other people and good things happen. And we're like, look at that good thing. And that never happens to me. We're always comparing. Always. And when we compare, we say, I like that thing better than what I have. And so it, it leads us to be competitors with one another. Right? And so instead of, uh, we, we, we see the gifts that we have in our life, the, the, the blessings from God, we see them as, as trophies that were to be flaunted in front of other people. Like if I do have something good, I want to show it off. Right? Look at this, it's a better thing than what you have. Right? So that I can show you that I don't have to be envious of you. Right? And then it also tells me that those, those wonderful things that God's given me are just trophies, they're not gifts. You don't share trophies. Like, if you come to my house, I'm not going to, like, open up my treasure thing, like my trophy chest from when I was in high school and college and pull out all my trophies. And it's like, here, have one, right? You don't do that. But gifts, gifts are meant to be shared. And so we don't share our joy. We don't share our blessings. We hold these things together and we put them in our little trophy cases in our heart and our life. And, and we begin to compare where we think we stand with one another. And it's pretty awful. It's difficult to have a real relationship with somebody when you're just out there trying to one-up one another. Envy leads to that. Today we're going to talk about envy and see the consequences of it. And we're also going to talk about how Jesus cures it. And it's in a very counterintuitive way how he does it, but it's amazing. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Genesis chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got a whole bunch of them right there in the back. You're welcome to. And if you need a Bible, just keep it. Our gift to you. And uh, if you open your Bible to Genesis 4, it's going to be right there in the beginning on page 3. Now, um, realize that when we talk about Genesis, uh, we've been in it several uh, weeks in a row, 
Genesis is a story of kind of our beginnings. Genesis 1 talks about creation, the general creation, how the earth and all that kind of stuff, nature all kind of fits in. Genesis 2 kind of zooms in, talks about humans, how did we get here, um, and our relationship with God. Genesis 3, what we talked about last week with pride, right? How did we fall, <laughs> right? Genesis 4, do you see how quickly after Genesis 3, Genesis 4 hits? It's the next chapter. And we find envy. That should tell us something about envy. It, it has been with us for a very long time. It's one of the earliest sins. It's been dogging us for a while. So Genesis uh, chapter 4, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Well, you've got to love it when a passage starts like that. You're like, you go Bible, right? Adam, Adam. Okay, Adam made love to his wife Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought as an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is a lot in that passage. For starters, it didn't take long for the human family to become pretty dysfunctional, right? I mean, think about it. If you think, well, I came from a really rough family, well, you inherited it. We started out pretty bad. The very first family, the kids literally murdered one another. It's pretty bad. See, when we lose sight of God and we include pride, things derail pretty quickly. It's amazing. I think something else that we see in this passage, as, as we, we find here, is how, how deadly envy can really be. How quickly it can go from something that's seemingly benign to something that is, that is truly, uh, it kills. <laughs> it's a horrible, horrible sin. And we'll see some things in the roots of it. First one we see of this is that, that uh, in, we see Cain rejecting uh, God's advice. He also rejects the blessing of his brother. I mean, they're just starting out. I don't know why God likes meat more than vegetables. Actually, maybe, I don't know, I like meat more than vegetables too. I mean, I'm godly. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what the deal was, right? It doesn't explain in Scripture. Somehow there's more to the story than, than we know. And there was something that God set a standard, and, and Cain and Abel, they, they bring it. Abel brings the offering, it matches what God wants. It's awesome. And Cain, of course, he didn't. And instead of having humility and instead of saying, God, your way, not mine, he puts himself on the throne. He had pride. And he said, I expect God to accept my offering as well. And then he gets mad not because you can't beat up God, so he goes to the next best thing. And he's out angry with his brother because his brother actually did something righteous. Isn't it funny how we do that? We can actually get upset with other people because they do the right thing. We can get upset with other people because we know that they're walking with God in the way that we should be walking, and so we make them the villain. That's what envy does. It begins that way. It also rejoices in the misfortunes of other people. Right? I imagine there was a time in the field as, as Cain was con- killing his brother, and there was a level of satisfaction that his brother got what he had coming. There was something very sick in the human spirit that is uh, really magnified or brought forth through envy, isn't it? It brings about, I think, this whole idea that it's about me and that self-worship, which is why it begins with pride. So envy is a killer. And I, and I know that most of us in our lives, we think it's not so bad, so I think we have to look at this text and we look at the scriptures and we realize that envy is not something to toy around with. It is deadly. It is, it is a killer. And one of the first things it kills is in people, it actually starts with this. It kills joy. Right, when we have envy, and look at that memory verse that we have. When we have envy, it rots our bones. There is no life. There is no peace. 
It's really hard to have joy in life when you are wishing you had something other than you always have, right? And you're upset that other people have what you think you want. It's hard to be a joyful person, isn't it? It's hard to enjoy the things we have. You know, envy, it compares all the time. It looks and says, I want that. I wish I had that. I don't have that. And now I'm upset with whatever I do have because what I have now is not, it's not enough. It also goes back to this whole crazy idea of fairness, right? They don't deserve to have that thing. If it was fair, I would have that or I would have it too, right? And if we go to the heart of it, it really goes to unmet expectations, right? When we don't get what, we, what our expectations are, we get disappointed. In fact, there was a secular study that came out a couple of years ago. I think it was last year that came out. I thought it was so funny because this is what they did. The social scientists, they said this, we have figured out the secret to happiness. And I said, well, here's a study I want to read, right? What? Tell us, what's the secret to happiness? They said, well, why do people unhappy? And they said, well, people are unhappy because they have unmet expectations. So they, they, they have this expectation for how they think life should go, what they want, and when they don't get that, now they're disappointed, and so now that's where they are not happy. So, kid you not, this is what these social scientists, they said, this is how we fix this. This is how you make people happy. Set low expectations. That's their solution. You know, if, if you don't expect people to treat you well, and people don't treat you well, then you got what you expected. You know? And so, if you just set your expectations low, then you'll never have your expectations unmet, and then you'll be happy. Now, I'll tell you, that's horrible advice, but it points to, I think, a real truth that says, listen, our expectations are on the wrong place. When we don't have expectations met, we're not happy. I think the secret to happiness we find in this is not setting our expectations low, but it's setting our expectations right. So let's start with this. What do we deserve? Right? If we're going to be upset that we don't get what we want, if envy starts with that, then we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I truly deserve? Does God owe me anything? What does God owe you? Well, let's start there, because we can get really mad at God because he doesn't give us the things that we think we want, but does he owe those things to us? What does God owe you? What do you truly deserve? Well, if I look in Scripture, it's not as much as we think that we would want it to be. We were created by God. God doesn't owe us anything, for starters. right? He didn't owe us life. He didn't owe us existence. The very fact that you're here is by his mercy. Right? It's an amazing thing. We don't, we don't deserve it. The, the fact that you have health. Why do you have health? Did God owe you a healthy body? No. The fact that you have food. Did God owe you the fact that you're going to have food or opportunity? Intelligence? God doesn't owe us anything. He's made all things. It's not like humanity can stand up to God and say, we deserve these things. We're not in that kind of negotiating. We're not an equal to God. He made us. But not only that, he made us and he made us wonderful. He gave us good things that we didn't deserve in the beginning. He made us the, the pinnacle of his creation. He gave us fellowship. He's given us all kinds of blessings. He built us in paradise. How cool is that? God is amazing. And then what did we do? It says, to a person, every one of us has declared war on God. Every single one of us said, hey God, you know there's that throne in my heart, you know this area that you're supposed to be? I'm going to kick you off of that and I'm going to be on that throne. We've all fought our own little rebellions against him. That's what pride does. Every single one of us, it says, there were God's laws and the very first sin was this. We said, we're going to say what's right and wrong. Not you, God. Not your kingdom, my kingdom. And we set our kingdoms, the kingdoms of our own hearts, against the kingdom of God. And of course, when we do that, we set our kingdoms against one another too, which is why we have all kinds of problems. But we started out by declaring war against God. Now, what does an enemy owe you? What do you owe an enemy? Say Kim Jong-un shows up at your door, knocks on the door, and says, hey, give me that $150 million you owe me. And you're like, Kim Jong-un, I don't owe you anything. You're my enemy, right? You don't owe him anything. Nothing. Not only because you don't owe him, he's like, you don't owe him anything, but he's also your enemy. He, like, even if you did, you'd be thinking twice. God doesn't owe us anything, but the only thing he does owe us, because we're his enemies, it says in scriptures, is that we, he does owe us judgment. He does owe us, uh, he does owe us the uh, destruction. That's, that's what he owes us. We've all sinned, fall short of the glorious standard of God. That's what it says. 
Every one of us deserves destruction. Every single one of us. We, we like to think that we're better than Sodom and Gomorrah, but how many in our own hearts have declared war against God? On a daily basis, we say, you know what, God, I'm going to do things my way. Thank you very much. And if you happen to agree with me, well, that's great. But if you disagree with me, we're going to do things my way. We all deserve his retribution. If we talked about what, what does God owe us, he owes us judgment. So I ask this, if we begin with, if we set our expectations right, what does God owe us? What should we be getting from God? The, the standard, a rightly set standard is this. We deserve destruction. We deserve judgment. We deserve to be treated like his enemies because that's how we've treated him. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that fire and brimstone isn't burning, uh, raining down on all of us right now. So we're getting something different than what we deserve. There's something to this. But we begin with what do we have to deserve? And I think also it's important for us to recognize that when we look, it shows us how flawed our thinking is in envy when we set our expectations wrong, not only forget to ask what, did we really, what does God owe us, but we always look at other people that have good things. We never look at people who have bad things and say, well, why don't I deserve that? You know, why am I not a refugee right now? Is it because I'm a better person? Is that, is that it? No. We always set the expectations of what we want to think something better because we think that somehow we deserve these things. But I tell you, the word of God is very clear and it's so important that we go into the text and find out who we are. And that's the first three chapters of Romans, by the way, if you want to go into like a theological, what, is it, what do we really deserve? Go in there. It's, the gospel begins by telling us the truth, and it's important to hear the truth. Now, there's some really great things past that because here's the amazing thing. Our expectations have to be set right, but then God blows our expectations out of the water. Right? We're not getting what we deserve. Nobody, none of us are yet. Envy doesn't just kill joy, though. I mean, when, when we set our expectations right and we have this joy and we recognize, listen, uh, if I have any good thing, the fact that God has given me a, a good family or a good body or a nice community to live in or, or good food, right, or he's given me meaningful work or he's given me anything, of, it's more than I deserve. Regardless of what you deserve, what I have right now is far more than I deserve, far more. It changes me from, a different, from my posture of being upset with God to a different one, of one of gratitude, right? But if I don't have that, then any good thing that I have, it takes away the joy from the things that God has already blessed me with. How can I be grateful for his forgiveness? I'm just upset with God. He hasn't given me things that he doesn't owe me anyway. See, it doesn't just kill joy. When Christians, we forget what we've been saved from. Not only do we lose our joy, but it also kills relationships. Yeah, it's really hard to like people who are upset with you every time you get something good. Isn't it? Is it hard? Like, you have something nice, and you're like, oh, I want to share this. This is really great. Come share my joy. And people come in, they're like, well, how come I didn't get that? Right? And it's really hard to love people where you're that way towards them. They get something nice, and you're like, oh, and you're not happy for them? I mean, that destroys relationships. It destroys relationships in a lot of ways. So think of, in the Bible, there are several t- examples that we have. Cain and Abel, it actually killed the brother. I mean, that's a pretty drastic way of ending a relationship. And envy does that. And we see in the word, it says, why do you have anger and strife and murder amongst you? Because you, you don't have what you think you, you should have. So you get upset with one another, you murder one another. It happens. But it's not the only way. Other ways it kills relationships, it brings hatred. Right? Think about Joseph and his brothers. Right? God gave Joseph dreams, and Joseph's dad gave him a really cool coat because he was favored. Was that fair? No. Joseph got way more than he deserved. Right? So his brothers, they look at Joseph and they say, we want what you have. How come God's given you all these dreams and how come dad gives you fancy coats? Right? And they allowed anger, their, 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 their envy at their brother to, to turn into anger. Right? And they were going to kill him and then they said, well, you know, that our conscience just wouldn't let us do that. So I tell you what, let's just throw him in a hole and then maybe we'll, we'll sell him as a slave. That'll be fine. Right? We do that. Well, we may have sold somebody into slavery, but oftentimes we're very, very upset with people who let that, just, that bitterness build because they've got these good things in life and it just drives us crazy. It can bring animosity. Think about Jesus and the Pharisees. 
Jesus is the Messiah, their Messiah, right? The Pharisees, they're the most religious, righteous of all the people. They knew the word of God better than anybody, right? They were set up after the temple was destroyed and they came back from from, uh, uh, when when they were in in, uh, captivity and they came back and they said, never again will this happen. We will commit ourselves to obeying God. A really good thing to do. And the Pharisees who should have known, I mean, they they knew the word, they, they knew it better than anybody else. And when their Messiah came, it was their envy that kept them from seeing him. It was like, who is this, this nobody with the crazy southern accent who's, you know, who's getting all these followers and he's got all this power and he can do miracles. I can't do miracles. It must be the devil that made him do miracles, right? All of this can lead to resentment, animosity. Think about our own lives, even amongst our own neighbors. Think about envy, how it begins to kill relationships with those around us. It starts this thing called the, the rat race. You notice that, keeping up with the Joneses? They've got a bigger TV. I've liked my TV, but now I know that I shouldn't have liked my TV because I can see a better one. So the one that I have, maybe not as good. So I'm going to have to go out and uh, now I've got to work harder. Now I've got to work harder to have this thing so now I can be happy. Now I'm resentful for them because they made me work harder. Right? If they would stop getting better things, I would be happy with what I have. It's how it works. And we resent one another when people get other things and we're like, oh, now I've got to do that too. No, you don't. You see, a heart at peace brings life to the body. And envy, it rots the bones. It turns our blessings in these trophies. We use them. We try to bolster our own egos and things like that. Well, at least I have these things and what I have is better than yours so I can feel okay with myself. It's not the basis of love. The church is supposed to be a family of love, right? And so envy keeps us from having that. It destroys relationships. It's, it's a deadly, awful thing. Uh, and we find here, First John says, don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Scripture warns us many times all the way through, don't be envious. Don't be like him. Don't follow that example that says, you know, my way, not God's way. I deserve it all and you don't, all right? Don't allow envy to become that root of hate in your life and that root of destruction. There is a different way and God calls us to it. So how? How do we overcome envy? Well, Jesus overcomes envy. He does it in an interesting way. He overcomes it with kindness. I kid you not. Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 20. Here is a, it's in the Gospels. Um, it's on page 689, and uh, as you turn there, I'll get you a little background. In this passage, Jesus is, um, he's, I'll turn my Bible correctly so I don't read the story backwards. Uh, he's telling us a story, it's called parables. Most of the parables are about the kingdom, and it's, why does Jesus tell parables about, about the kingdom? Because he's trying to explain something to us, like put it in our language in a way that maybe we can get something. It's kind of like, uh, like a master chef trying to describe a, a really complex recipe with a, a Labrador retriever right? Like God's got the kingdom of God and he's like, I want to tell you about it. And he's trying to put it in terms that we get. So he tells us these wonderful parables so that we can understand them. And this is a parable about the kingdom. And in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1, it starts with this. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, stop right there for just a second. Denarius was just the value of money for one day's work. It was a one day's wage. So he was paying them a, a, the right pay, right? A competitive good compensation, fair compensation. And so they agreed that I'll do a works, one day's work for one day pay. Got it. Okay. So about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go, uh, you are also Uh, Go and work in the vineyard, and I will pay you what is right. So they went. And he went out again at about noon and at about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. And he said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. 
But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I think this is a hard parable for us, especially in our culture, because we tend to agree with the early workers, don't we? I don't know about you, maybe I'm less spiritual than the rest of you, but when I read that first time, it offended me, because I was on their side. I was like, what? You know, they, they did work more, and you, that's not right. It's not fair. Mm, kindness is not fair. And we've already talked about what we deserve, so I'm glad that the kingdom of God works on a different kind of economy. And I read that passage, and it's hard to debate with Jesus, where he says, the landowner goes, you know what? Uh, I'm not being unfair. Aren't I giving you what you agreed to work for? Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and isn't it okay for if, he's, if somebody has money for them to do with what they want? Yeah, if he wants to be generous, he should be generous. So he revealed something very deep, and I think in the human core of who we are, I think it spoke to Jesus' culture as much as us, is that there's this comparison that we do. We look to what God gave them, and we say, well, then based on that, this is what I should have. But I think it's important for us to realize there's a parable about the kingdom, and the first thing it talks about the kingdom is, is that nobody gets what they deserve. All of those workers, those day laborers, any of them at the beginning of the day, did they deserve a job? They were all unemployed. All of them. And no one owed them a job. The landowner, out of because he had work to do and he was kind, he went and he paid them a fair wage. Even the ones who came first, I imagine, when they first got hired, were like, yes, first thing in the morning, I don't have to worry of the fact that I'm going to have food tonight. What a great gift. All day long, the people who were hired, none of them were owed a job. But everyone were offered one, and those who accepted it were given one. And every one of them was paid. Every one. Ah, this is an amazing thing. The expectation was set wrong. The expectation is they were grateful they had a job. What a great thing. But I think there's something else in this parable we've got to get. All of us, we're the late workers. We're, we are the late workers, by the way. My ancestors worshipped... Uh, trees and bushes and things like that. That's what they did. They were Irish and St. Patrick's Day is coming up. I love St. Patrick. I only didn't wear green because we're preaching on envy today, right? But, but they were they were godless. Right? My, my ancestors walked far from God. And he sent a captive to bring the gospel to them. He didn't a person who that my ancestors enslaved because of the grace of Christ, he went back and he shared the gospel. So for hundreds of years, my ancestors have known who Christ is. I was late to the field, but I've received great mercy. What an amazing thing.
All right. Hey, we're back. So let's go back to that. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. God didn't owe us salvation, but he gave it to us. He gave it to us because of his kindness. Right? He's given us what we don't deserve precisely because we couldn't earn it, because we don't deserve it, because of who he is. And it goes on. It gets better. Right? If that wasn't enough, we'd be like, wow. But look what it says next. And God raises us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus? What? And this is in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We should face his wrath. Instead, God says, I'm going to do, I'm going to elevate you, I'm going to set you on a pedestal, I'm going I'm to rain blessing and kindness upon you. That's amazing. And it finishes up. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. You don't deserve it. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one can boast. We deserve wrath. God gave us anything but wrath. He's given us kindness after kindness after kindness. Even the most awful Sin-filled person that lives on this earth today is a recipient of God's grace today. They are receiving more kindness than they deserve. Right? They're not facing his wrath right now. They're living under the grace of God that's giving them time to be able to recognize their need to turn to him. How much more have we received grace? Those of us have heard the gospel and have received and have turned from it, who've had our sins forgiven, who have our place in heaven secured, who have God's Holy Spirit in us, empowering us, giving us, equipping us to do great things, who has given us not just today, but a future that is amazing. Where is there room for envy in this? Can I look at what God has blessed you with and said that I deserve that? I don't deserve what I have. And what I have, it blows my mind with how amazing that it is. And it goes on. Because he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but guess what? If you're in my kingdom, I use that trouble for great things, and I'll reward you for being righteous in the midst of your trouble. And I will use that to build you and my kingdom. So whether good or bad, God is at work, and he is good. God is amazing. And he's at work in us today. And he didn't destroy envy by giving us what we thought we need. He didn't destroy envy. Sometimes we get it wrong. We think, if I just pray for the things that I want, then God will give me what I should have, right? And then I won't be an envious person. He doesn't work that way, right? If God just gave you everything that you thought that you wanted, every time you prayed, God said yes. Every single thing you wanted, you would still be an incredibly envious person because there would still be the sin in here. There'd still be the root. You would still compare. You will never have enough. You ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? If you haven't, go see. It's fun. But there's this guy, and he talks about what's enough. What is enough? And the answer, I love this, is a little bit more. When will you ever have enough wealth? You're never going to have enough wealth to satisfy the flesh. But God satisfies the whole being. Flesh, body, mind, spirit. He satisfies us all. And he doesn't do it by feeding the lie. He shows us the truth. We as objects of his wrath and he's given us so much more, more than we could ever even hold. His, his, his bounty of love on you is, is unmatched and it will never end. And it's because it's a gift, not what we owe, not what God owes us, but because he's kind. God destroys our envy with his kindness. And that kindness then leads to something called gratitude, doesn't it? When I recognize what God has done for me, when I recognize that I have so much more than I deserve, so much, I don't say, God, why didn't you give me more? I say, God, why did you even give me this? I see his love, his patience with me. Why is it? I love when, uh, um, when, when I'm going to brag on you for a second, Amy. When, when Amy started going through some health issues, I was, I took my fist to God and I did. I would, yell at him all the time. I was like, why, God, why us, right? We're being faithful, why us? And my wife, so wonderful, always said, why not me? Why not? What an incredible perspective. Because God didn't abandon her. He didn't abandon me. He said, I've got something. I'm going to use this. And she was an apostate to allow him to use it. I wasn't. It took me a long time to get there. But I'll tell you this. Here's the thing. We're not getting what we deserve. 
We deserve far worse than anything this world can throw at us. That's why there is hell. That's why there is a lake of fire. What we deserve is incredibly bad. And I realize that what I have is an amazing gift. That my God loves me deeply. And I have like, my family, my friends, my church, my health, all of these things that we have, wealth, opportunity, these are gifts of God. And I can say thank you to God for those instead of why haven't you given me something else? It changes my posture. It gives me peace in the midst of what I have because I know my God will provide my every need out of his riches and his kindness. And God has proven his kindness in my life. And so kindness, it grows from grace. When we've received grace, we can recognize and say thank you to God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. That kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. And so we see that as we, we kind of wrap this, this up and, and thing here, we recognize this, that envy is a root of hate. If you have envy in your life, it will lead you to hatred. And hatred leads to death and all kinds of things. Death of relationships, death of joy, death of all kinds of things, and it can't even actually lead to murder. So we don't mess around with this. Envy is not a small thing. It is a deadly sin and needs to be treated as such. Right? We see this, that envy it does. It kills joy. It kills relationships. That's where it begins. And so if in your life you're recognizing that your joy is gone, there is no peace in your life. Right? You, you look at your life at, with, with disappointment. I'm going to say this, that, that envy is at a root of this. There's a lot of it there. You're comparing and you're setting your expectations wrong. You need to set your expectations right. Not what the other people have, but really what do you deserve and what do you have? Start there. It's killing relationships. If you're finding that you're trying to keep up with other people, right? You're fighting the rat race. You're doing all that kind of stuff. You're upset with other people because they have good things, right? There's envy in there and it's turning into hatred. It's destroying that relationship that you have. It's time to deal with it. The power of God is he can deal with it. So Jesus cures envy with kindness. Look at God's grace. Here's why it's counterintuitive. We think of envy, how we would like to solve things, the thing like you have the power to solve this on your own. You can't. You can't leave here today. If you say, I'm struggling with envy, so I'm going to leave here and stop being envious. Good luck. Right? It doesn't work like that. Christ cures envy. And he does it with kindness. The way that you're going to grow out of envy is growing closer to Jesus. If you want to become less envious, start walking with the Lord more. Start walking closer with him. He'll show you what you deserve, and he'll show you how kind he is in your life. There are three things in the scripture that God talks about he wants from his disciples. As we are disciples, we should grow in these things. There are lots of other things that we're supposed to grow in, but these are three in scripture and the gospels consistently where he talks about his disciples is what we're supposed to have. The first one is he said we're supposed to be a people of, of fasting. We're supposed to be a people that growingly learn how to say no to ourselves so we can say yes to God. Right? So right now, as we're preparing for Easter, a lot of people in Lent, they give up something, they fast, they say no to themselves so they can say yes to God. That's a cool thing. But in our daily life, it needs to be part of this. We need to be kind of people that say, I don't, God doesn't owe me these things. I can say no to these things so I can say yes to God. So I can pray. So I can recognize I don't need these things that I think that I need. And our, we should be a people who are learning how to grow in that. Another thing it says in Scripture, we should be a people of prayer. We need people that's including God in our lives. When the disciples said, hey, that's awesome. How do we pray? How did Jesus say? He didn't just say, I'll just talk to God, tell him what we want. He said, let's pray like this. Our Father in heaven, you're the awesome one. Your name is how, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not mine. Right? So teach me what your way is. Help me to forgive people like you've forgiven me. Take care of my needs, right? And help me overcome temptation because it'll always be too, too, too big for me. You see the dependence that we grow in faith and faithfulness as we, as we walk in, in, in this life, we begin to walk closer to Christ. And as we walk closer to Christ, we're going to find him there. Third thing that tells us in Scripture is supposed to be is, is not just a, a, a people that are fasting and a people that, that are praying. We're supposed to be a people of just outrageous generosity. We're supposed to be the kind of people that say, I see a need, and guess what? They may not deserve this, but I can help. Because God has gifted me abundantly, and he will continue to gift me abundantly. And so we have an attitude of generosity, of greatness, of wealth of the Spirit. So we're able to care for people, not just with material wealth, with our time and with our forgiveness and with our kindness. People of outrageous generosity in life, we're supposed to grow in these things. Well, how can you be a generous person if you are clinging with claws of the very few things that you have? The only way to, to separate yourself from this is to have a closer walk with Jesus. Get to know him. Get to know him. Get it in your walk. Spend time with him. Say no to yourself. Pray. 
and, and talk with him. Ask what he wants in your life. Lay down your life for what he wants for you. Receive and remind yourself of his amazing grace that he has saved you by and kept you by and what he's calling you to. The closer you're walking with Christ, the more kindness will grow in your life because it's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you want to overcome envy, Jesus cures envy with kindness. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Grow closer to Christ, and you will grow to be more kind. It's an amazing thing. That's how I do it. And so we find that kindness is that fruit of the Spirit. So how can we begin to practice this? How do we begin to cultivate that fruit in our lives? Well, I've got some ideas. In your connection card, it's, um, on the back here, we have... a. Some next steps I, I can challenge you to as a beginning steps to begin cultivating this in your life. So if you have your connection card, I'm going to pull it out on the back there. It says, this week I commit to some challenging things that I'm going to, I'm going to throw at you to see if any of these sticks. The first one is memorize Proverbs 14.30. We need to tell ourselves the truth. Right? The word of God tells us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And I'll tell you this, a heart at peace brings life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Memorize it. Spend time this week learning it, you're right? Allowing it to become part of your very spirit. Let this truth help you as you go through life. You might now be more aware of when you're envying somebody. Remind yourself of the reason why I want to get rid of envy is not because I, I, and I, I want to be a more righteous person. It's because it's killing me. I want to be a person at peace. Let God's word help you. So maybe you start with memorizing. Maybe what you need to do is read Romans 1 through 3. I talked about some pretty heavy things today, like we deserve wrath. Right, that's a pretty tough thing. That's not like a super seeker-sensitive thing, right? But Jesus used it for seekers because we need it. We need to know the truth. And I will tell you, if you are at a place with God where you're saying, and I, trust me, I have been here more than once, where I say to God, I deserve better, right? Romans is a great reminder. It shows the light, not so I feel bad about myself, but so I see my situation correctly. Because when I see it correctly, I see how loving God is in my situation with me. He has not abandoned me. But I have to get, somebody's got to turn the lights on, and that's what Romans 1 through 3 is. It turns the lights on, and it shows us where we're at. Now, after you read Romans 1 through 3, you can go, if you want some good news, the rest of the really awesome part of the gospel, read the rest, right? But maybe it's where you need to start this week. Or how about this? Maybe you need to stop comparing. All right, here's a real practical thing. Maybe you're a person that just is in that trap of comparing. I'm looking at other people. They have this. I should have this. I'll tell you this. This week, maybe you make this commitment. You tell yourself, I'm going to be aware of it. When I compare with what I have versus somebody else, I'm going to admit it to God. I will confess it, right? And I will stop. And instead of comparing what they have versus what I have, instead, compare what you have versus what you deserve. All right? If you want to compare, let's do that. And here's the thing. Last commitment is uh, maybe this week, Every day, you thank God for his kindness. Not in general. You don't just wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you for your kindness, because that doesn't do anything. In your life, look at the things you take for granted every single day that you don't deserve. And thank him for that kindness. For the opportunity to, maybe it's that enemy that you now have the opportunity to show kindness to that you can now forgive because Christ has forgiven you. Thank him that you can forgive because you've been forgiven. Right? Maybe in the time when your tummy's grumbling because you missed your lunch because you were working past it, you thank God that you have an amazing job, right? And that you normally eat. You know what hunger feels like because you know what it feels like to be full. Maybe thank God for that, right? Or the times where the kids are just going crazy and you're just like, ah, thank God the fact that you have a family. Or when the house bill comes and you have a mortgage and you're like, oh, thank God that you have a home. Thank God for his blessings, for many, many blessings. Be intentional. Grow gratitude. And kindness will follow. Maybe there's something else that you need to do. As your pastor, I love to support you and I love to pray for you. So if you let me know, I will be praying for you this week if you have another commitment to make. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never had to start a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted his free gift of salvation, his kindness. Well, I'll tell you, um, that's where it begins. His gift of kindness. You are not receiving what you deserve right now. But if you don't receive his salvation, there's a time coming where he will allow you to get what you deserve. And you don't want to go there. And if that is you, and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't think of a time where you said, you know, by faith I'm, I'm accepting what he's done for me, for by grace I've been saved through faith. 
It's a gift, not of myself. You've never done that. You can't think of a time where you've, you've believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, where you've repented, you've turned your life over to him, where you've, where you've confessed him as he, your Lord and Savior, where you've been baptized, right? where you've been brought into a church, you're able to grow. If you don't have that, you need to do this. This is the, the, most, the first step of, of finding that kindness, and this is a gift for you. This is what I would like you to do. Right here on the back of this card, it says, I would like more information starting relationship with Jesus. You can meet with me after the service, too. I'd be happy to talk with you, but if you let me know, um, make sure you have your contact information so I can talk with you. Here's the thing. It's not a sales pitch. It's an invitation to join the most incredible family ever. You need to know what it means. You're going to have questions. You know what it's like. I won't push you. I won't pressure you. But if once you are ready to take those steps of faith, I will be with you every step of the way. This church will be there to support you. Take those steps of faith to join this family, to receive God's his amazing gift, his amazing grace. And we'll be there with you as you grow in the faith. So if you need to take that first step, don't be ashamed to do it. It's just, it today is the day, so make sure you make that step. If you have a prayer request, please let us know. I love to pray for you. It's one of the best joys that I have as, as your pastor. So please let me know how I can be supporting you. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. If we take our offering, uh, place these connection cards in the offering basket as well. Uh, we would appreciate that. All right, let's pray for our, con- our commitments and for our offerings. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your kindness and your goodness, far more than we deserve, far better than anything that we could have uh, attained on our own. We deserve to be your enemies, and yet you made us your children. So who on earth could we be envious of? Pray that you would heal us from the inside out. Lord, that you would uh, take our withering bones of envy and you would replace them with, with a strong structure of peace, of gratitude, of kindness, of your spirit. Father, I pray as this is a church as we grow that we would not be uh, so enamored of this world that we forget what you have called us to. Lord, we say thank you for the many blessings you've given us. Help us to serve you in a way that honors you. Father, we pray for these commitments that we're making today. Help us to keep them, not out of act of self-righteousness, but Father, act of submission to you and your will and your kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done right here as it is in heaven. And Father, we pray for our tithes, our offerings. Lord, may these be investments in your kingdom. Lord, do great things with them. Free people from the bondage of the lies of, of sin and self. And Father, I pray that salvation would reach not only depth in this whole church, but in our whole community, Father. The light of the gospel will shine into every nook and cranny of Estes Park. Tell everyone here that lives in this mountain valley knows who Jesus is, what he's done, and Father, how they can accept his gift of grace. Father, may you do all of these things in a way that brings you honor and glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.